listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the third episode of The Hand Cell. I'm the podcast producer and co-host, Nicole Lesky, joined by my co-host, Maddie Gobo, events manager at Skylight Books. And we are joined today on the intro by... Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Who also is going to make a special appearance at the end of the episode for our little main event. Um, But before we get into all that, we got a pretty cool episode. Uh, I just wanted to wish everyone a happy May Day. Happy May Day! Uh, and, May Day. And I can say that now because now I know what May Day is. Uh, <laughs> right before, it's been like a skylight tradition to like celebrate May Day. And I've been way too embarrassed over the past few years that I've worked here to actually ask what it is. <laughs> so today I finally mustered up the gumption to ask what is May Day. And I'm glad I did. Maddie, could you explain to us what May Day is? Yes. Uh, so I have just pulled up the Wikipedia page, so I'm an expert. Um, <laughs> May Day is uh, International Workers' Day. Um, it's a day of celebration all across the world for workers and specifically the eight-hour workday, um, workers' rights. Uh, there's often um, general strikes staged on this day. There's a big one going on today, um, which Eve will tell us about a little bit later. Um, but basically, it's, it's the day when workers get to speak up and um, fight for their rights. Uh, it was started back in 1889 by the very delightfully named <laughs> <laughs> the Marxist International Socialist Congress. Uh, which yeah. Met, yeah. They met in Paris back in 1889, and they... Um, adopted a resolution to have a great international demonstration in support of working class demands for the eight hour day. So this was uh, kind of in the wake of um, the Haymarket Affair, uh, which was uh, a labor demonstration that was bombed in uh, Haymarket Square in Chicago. Um, So this was kind of the beginning of the labor movement. um, And since then, uh, this day has been celebrated across the world, though notably uh, not so much in the United States. 
Mm. <laughs> uh, mm. we, we do have our own Labor Day in September, um, and efforts to change it to May 1st have been fairly unsuccessful. Um, in 1947, uh, the Veterans of Foreign Wars lobbied to change May 1st to Loyalty Day to try and uh, counteract communist organizing. Um, so, you know, good luck with that in 2020. <laughs> Um, but it's just an important day, um, and to celebrate, uh, your favorite Skylight booksellers have made you a recommended reading list um, that has picks for all ages. It's available on our website, www.skylightbooks.com slash international-workers-day. Um, there's lots of good stuff on there, so we hope you check it out. Yeah, right on. And uh, this is, of course, yesterday, because by the time the listeners will be accessing this episode, it will be May 2nd, while <laughs> May Day is May 1st. So I do want to make that clear that the listeners know that May 1st was May Day. But uh, if, you, if you believe, Mick, May Day could be every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so. There's, there's supposed to be a strike today or yesterday um, in solidarity with Amazon, Instacart, Whole Foods, and Target workers. So hopefully you didn't cross the picket line yesterday. But if you did, don't cross it today if you're listening to this podcast. Oh, here's a, just don't cross it ever. How about that? <laughs> no scabs. No scabs here. Yeah, that's actually one of the resolutions that Trisha and I got to, which is we have to stop being dependent on Amazon. And well, that's a good little segue into the breakdown of the episode because we've got our general manager, Mary, coming up next to talk to you about what's going on at Skylight. Some pretty exciting updates there. Uh, we've got a book recommendation from Dylan. And then, Eve, we've got you with Trisha Lowe. Yeah. We so talk long. about not buying from Amazon and other stuff. <laughs> yeah, it started, we reached out to Trisha um, because SPD is currently looking for donations. They, they have a GoFundMe link going up right now. Eve, who is SPD? Explain for our listeners. SPD is small press distribution. Mm -hmm. And what I learned in my conversation with Trisha, and which you'll learn as well, is that they're very important. Um, Distribution is a very important part of book selling that people often overlook. Um, and small press distribution deals with small presses and helps out more than 400, 500 presses distribute their books to libraries, small bookstores, big bookstores. They basically get the work out there for you to read. So it's really good, and you should check out Small Press Distribution, donate to the GoFundMe, and support, support small businesses. And I don't know if you've mentioned this, but why is Trisha a good person to talk to? Yeah, so Trisha is a publicist. <laughs> Trisha is a publicist for Small Press Distribution. Well, that'll be an exciting conversation, and uh, look forward to that in the main event of this episode. And before we get to it, I want to know what you guys have been reading this week. Uh, I've been reading the second uh, Mr. Ripley novel by Patricia Highsmith. 
It's called Ripley Underground. Uh, Is that a series? I had no idea. Oh, oh yes. The, oh, boy. The hijinks that Tom Ripley gets up to are oh. never-ending. Um, I'm obsessed with this murderous little twink. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, he's wonderful uh, and evil. Um, the first book, The Talented Mr. Ripley, is just... I think Highsmith's masterpiece, and I say that as a Patricia Highsmith super fan, um, she's an incredible, incredible with plotting, um, very sinister, uh, very, very beautiful in a creepy way. Um, there's a lot of beautiful scenes of Italy in that book. Uh, so if you need to take a little armchair voyage, I highly recommend it. The second book, uh, Tom Ripley has gotten away with murder. Uh, and continues to get away with murder and also makes his first foray into the art world, um, oh. impersonating uh, a vanished artist. Uh, it's fantastic. Wow. So funny. Great, great satire of the art world. Um, and yeah, just endless fun. Do we need to put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this podcast or has the sort of like the period of spoilers expired. <laughs> I think most people are vaguely familiar with, with Tom, Tom Ripley and his ilk. That's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. Eve, what about you? Um, well, I just want to say that I actually heard about Ripley in Trisha Lowe's book, Socialist Realism. And there's like a really good analysis of the homoeroticism in that. Um, well, she's analyzing the film, but in the book as well. Uh, I've been reading Severance by Ling Ma, which is very apt for what's going on right now. But yeah, just three chapters in. It's really good read. That, that's like a plague dystopia novel, right? Exactly. Is um, it, how is it reading such a thing in a time like this? It's kind of comforting because it hasn't gotten to that point yet where uh, you, I have to start looking out for groups that have survived the plague. There's an, an element to it that's more science fiction-y where uh, they, they're fevered. They're not actually dead, they're like zombies. Um, and you just have to like corral them like cows. They like go inside people's houses and seek comfort that way or shelter. Um, but yeah, we haven't gotten to that point that's <laughs> being distributed in LA now. Nick, what about you? And then I've been taking the recommendation of a lot of Skylight booksellers and finally reading The Last Samurai by Helen DeWitt, which you may have heard Ben uh, hand-sell last week on our episode. Um, I think Dylan really loves it too, right? Yeah. Got a lot of The Last Samurai super fans. So yeah, really enjoying that so far. It's kind of interesting reading it in 2020. I'm sure it was a much different experience, like even 10 years ago. I think we've gone through like a sort of exhaustion in like postmodernist, like irony, like a lot of really banal details just loaded on you and like sort of like a a deluge that sort of like overwhelms you like details for the sake of details like a lot of pages of just math problems and stuff yeah isn't helen dewitt like a polymath genius like she's and you can definitely smart. tell i i did not know that but you can definitely tell <laughs> just by reading like the first 100 pages um 
so yeah, I'm really into it so far. Glad to have coworkers who is it overwhelming? Stuff. It can be. It's definitely like so like a lot of novels with like I think gimmicks to them. They take a hundred pages. I, I say gimmicks sort of loosely, but they take like a hundred pages for you to like learn how to read them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of those. I can definitely imagine a scenario in which I sort of like got frustrated around page 70 but uh yeah I just kept on and by the time I got to page 100 it was like okay I kind of get with it where this is going you know mm. the power of the recommendation yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah it was recommended <laughs> you gotta trust the taste you gotta trust the taste to get through the hard bits but uh, speaking of that, I guess we'll we'll get to that later on in this episode. So thank you guys so much for uh, joining me today. We'll see you guys uh, next week. Enjoy the episode. Hello, this is Mary, the general manager of Skylight Books, back with another update about our store. We had an exciting development in the last week when our Paycheck Protection Program loan came through. As you've probably heard in the news, that was a very stressful process, but it paid off and we're so grateful to be able to keep our full staff on payroll until the end of June. So the PPP loan is an enormous help to our financial situation. I wish I could say that means that we're totally fine now financially, but that's not really the case. We still have a mountain of invoices for all the books we bought before the shutdown, along with rent, insurance, and other fixed operating expenses. Our bills are much higher than our sales. That said, our friends in publishing are working with us on postponed due dates, and all of you, our customers, have been valiantly stepping forward to order books from us, buy gift cards, and buy or renew memberships. If all of that keeps up, we should be able to hang on until we're able to reopen in a month or two and sales pick back up. We're keeping very busy working from home, managing orders, reimagining our events program as a virtual events program, keeping our subscriptions programs going, working on promoting books we like across many platforms, paying our bills, and staying in constant communication with our colleagues at other bookstores and in publishing, with partners in our community, and with our customers. A friend at another bookstore told me that it's taking them twice as much work to generate and process half the sales, and that is definitely the case here too. But we're keeping our spirits up with every bit of good news. The PPP loan is a big bit of good news, but really, I mean things like a kind note on an incoming website order, engagement with our virtual events and social media posts, seeing a book we love get a little spike in sales after we promote it. Each of these little signs tells us that we're not alone in this, that all of you are with us on this crazy journey, and that makes a world of difference. So thank you for everything you're doing to help us keep the store going. We miss you, and we can't wait to see you all in person again. Hi, this is Dylan. My staff pick for the week is The Collected Stories of Lydia Davis by Lydia Davis. Uh, her short stories are perfect for a time where time has become kind of meaningless. You can spend five minutes or an hour with these beauties. However long you decide to read them, you'll leave with something to mull over throughout the rest of the day. Enjoy. A disclaimer, Trisha's views don't reflect the views of small press distribution. <laughs> yeah nice to talk could... to you on off the record kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and just one question to like start off the podcast mm -hmm. um where are you 
and describe the room in which you're in or the environment? Totally. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I think that this is such a great project um, and a really interesting time to be talking about all of this stuff yeah. um, in regards to bookselling um, in the middle of this crisis. Um, I am at home. Uh, I have the day off today from work. So I'm just um, in my room, um, which you can't really see because I'm using a Zoom background. <laughs> um, I live in Berkeley, California. Um, and yeah, sorry, I forgot what the other half of your question was because I got too carried just away. ASMR description of what's going on in the background. Oh, well, it's really quiet because I live in Berkeley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm in Oakland right now, and it's really quiet. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's it's probably really quiet everywhere. But, you know, you can't see this, but there's clothes everywhere right now. Mm -hmm. Just because I've just been letting myself feel my feelings and not really. Yeah, definitely. I hate folding. I, I like um, sweeping and vacuuming a lot, but the folding situation's out of hand. So I'm kind of in, like, a pile of clothing right now, which feels nice. So that's okay. Yeah. It's the most comforting thing after you dry your clothes to just lie under them no. and feel the weight. <laughs> um, yeah, tell me a little bit about SPD for people who don't, who don't know about it. Yeah, absolutely. So SPD, or a small press distribution, is um, what we refer to as the only nonprofit literary distributor um, in the United States. So maybe the first thing to talk about would be what is book distribution? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's often not really talked about because it's such a, a sort of unsexy book uh, part of book publishing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, publishers work directly with authors to create these wonderful books. Um, and then, you know, customers buy them from stores or libraries also purchase them. But I think people don't think so much about how the books get from the publisher to those libraries, customers and stores, right? And I think yeah. that um, it's often assumed that they just go directly. Um, but what happens actually is that most books go from publishers either direct to customer or to what we call a book distributor. Um, and that means like a giant warehouse that might work with a bunch of different publishers. They receive the books and then they ship those out to like multiple different accounts. So anywhere from universities to libraries to indie bookstores to large bookstores. Um, and the reason that things work this way is because um, when booksellers work with a distributor, um, they're able to get better terms a lot of the time, which are better for their margins. They usually order pretty large discounts, offer mm -hmm. pretty large discounts. Um, and also, like, it's a kind of way to centralize accounting. If you think about it, if a small bookstore bought every title directly from the publisher who printed the book, that would be a lot of different paperwork to a company. insane. Yes. Um, and it would be insane also for like publishers, especially very small publishers, to deal with the paperwork of selling to all of those different customers. Mm -hmm. so basically, book distribution is very unsexy, but it is yeah. literally just getting books from publishers in the most efficient way to the people who want to buy them. Um, SPD has been doing this since the 60s and working mostly with small presses. Um, and the reason that we continue to be a nonprofit is because uh, 
distribution is really expensive business and we typically lose a lot of money selling books, mm. which sounds crazy, but um, that's why distribution to me is kind of like a really fascinating topic. Um, like the number of book distributors has decreased drastically over the past decade or so. And we have seen, I think like, you know, the mid-sized distributors like consortium who work with some of people's favorite small presses, like big small presses like Coffee House and Nightboat and all that um, has been bought by Ingram. Um, and a lot of um, mid-sized distributors have either closed or also been bought by Ingram. So now basically what the situation is in book distribution is that you have Amazon, you mm -hmm. have Ingram, which has bought mm -hmm. all of these kind of like mid-sized book distributors. Um, and then you have like the really small distributors who are very niche. So like DAP who distribute art books um, and then small press distribution. <laughs> Sorry, that yeah. was long-winded and no it's fine yeah. that that kind of brings me to the next question which is how do you how do you view spd in relation to amazon but also in relation to ingram since ingram is becoming sort of equal to amazon in its acquisition or merging of all these distributors <laughs> yeah i mean the thing to say first of all about spd is that we, we are like really niche. We serve a very specific purpose. So like, for example, if um, a giant, if a lot of the big, like this would never happen, but let's say a, the, one of the big five publishers was like, will you distribute our books? We would just be like, no, because our goal is to kind of like work specifically with small presses who don't have the resources to deal with all of those business elements of distribution and then mm -hmm. do that work for them, right? Um, so I think that in that sense, um, our kind of goals and the community that we serve is very different from um, Amazon and Ingram, right? We're very mission driven. Like we really want to help the people who don't have those resources to be able to try to compete in the marketplace. Right. Um, and because of that, and I mean, I think that that's the, the really interesting thing. Like what does it mean for a book to be competitive in the marketplace right now? Yeah. Does it mean that it's available at all the indie bookstores? Does it mean that it gets a lot of reviews? Um, uh, does it mean that it's available on Amazon and on Bookshop? Yeah. And interestingly, right now, for a book to be competitive in the marketplace, it's about it being available, right? Mm -hmm. It's about it like showing up in all the channels through which people buy books. So that goes anywhere from like, you know, Edelweiss, like all the book selling platforms. Uh, and ordering platforms to library systems so that librarians know that the book is available to order to mm -hmm. Amazon and Ingram, which I think are the most visible means by which we see that books are available these days. Right? Yeah, and then books, bookstores and then this kind of transition that's happening because of uh, the pandemic where everything's switching to online and like yeah. bookstores having to adapt to that online presence and having to uh, kind of put more more stress on like the visuals uh, of the book, like where it's placed and this this role of like the bookseller and recommendations. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I should just say like for full transparency, you know, SPD sells to Amazon and Ingram, like they are our biggest customer. And the large reason that we do that is because I think publishers and authors really feel like for the book to be compatible in the market, uh, competitive in the marketplace, 
the books need to be available through those channels, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially since like, for example, for a lot of small bookstores, you know, and this is like totally no judgment because I get it. Like Ingram can offer free shipping and I think right now like a 46% discount or something like mm -hmm. that. Those are terms that are way better than SPD's terms, right? Because we're yeah. not we can't afford it we ask you to pay shipping our max discount is 40 percent. but then what then happens is that so many people are taking a cut that the only people who lose money are the publishers who are producing the books essentially right mm -hmm. and then our cut becomes less as well and that's money that could be spent in different ways like you know on hr on you know investing in the workers um, yeah so it's, it's kind of this um big structural problem, the centralization of distribution to Amazon and Ingram, I would say. Like, like it's not, we can't afford to not work with them right now is what, yeah. is kind of what the bottom line for a lot of people is. Um, I feel like this would be a good time to mention the strike that's going to happen uh, on May yeah. 1st. Yeah, so um, I'm actually not as tied in with all the organizing to know if it's a general strike, but I do know that, you know, um, workers at Amazon warehouses um, and Whole Foods and Target and Instacart are all going on strike and SPD mm -hmm. is going to be striking in solidarity with those workers on May Day. Um, I think that I love the book industry so much, but warehousing is one of the parts of it that I think is a little bit like... Um, how the sausage gets made in meat production. Mm. <laughs> people, people like don't like to think about it. People like like to think that the book shows up at their cute little bookstore and the bookstore is like an ethical place to work and you buy mm -hmm. the book and it's great. But mm -hmm. a lot of times what happens in the interim is that people are hired to work in giant warehouses to pull books off of the shelves for eight hours a day. Yeah. and just put them in boxes. Now that's not a bad job. You know, I have, you know, my colleagues do that job. And I think that, you know, even though it's not an ideal situation, sometimes at SPD, those conditions are definitely better than at Amazon. And one thing that I've been trying to figure out for a really long time is like, I just have no idea what the, con the conditions are like in Ingram warehouses, or like if mm. there's any organizing going on there, or like, you know, it's, it's just an interesting thing. Like there's so little interest in figuring out, you know, so much talk about kind of like labor organizing in the book industry and a lot less talk about labor organizing at the kind of like base warehouse level. Um, yeah. That's something I'm interested in. But then, you know, I don't know anybody working at Ingram and I haven't heard of any organizing. And that, that to me is also like really curious, right? I wonder if it, it really is that conditions are better than at Amazon warehouses. And so those workers are not interested in organizing or if they face retaliation or whatever. So if anyone has any info about this, definitely let me know. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say you're at? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Tarisha, which is kind of like a weird phonetic spelling of my name, but it's T-U-H-R-E-E-S-H-A. Or yep. collective organizing. Yeah, more collective organizing. I mean, I I really do think that it's, like you said, in this moment where, like, you know, a lot of the ways that we do traditional book selling has to be rethought. Like, mm -hmm, definitely. For people to kind of also 
receive more information and learn more about the supply chain of books, right? Yeah, because I feel like the, the focus right now, at least, is uh, kind of on the book selling end of things, where it's like people are being laid off or bookstores are being closed and like supporting small bookstores is almost like an ethical decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you said, the the supply chain is often overlooked. Um, and there's also this desire to have these like small bookstores mimic uh, Amazon in a way or Ingram in that they want these books shipped mm-hmm. immediately. Or like, I feel you tweeted the other day that like two day shipping is not logical not a real thing and i feel like uh with skylight in particular for some reason there's still that demand to like have the books there um yeah it's also interesting because uh right now our orders are being fulfilled by ingram directly um bookshop uh through ingram Oh, just directly through Ingram. Okay. Yeah. Which, yeah. So in terms of cuts and like how, how like the stronghold that these distributors have in relation to bookstores, it becomes more apparent that way. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing, like you said, um, it's, it's, that it's, it's, we're kind of in this moment where like um, there's just, there's just more information that's available because of all the problems that are happening, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in this idea of like, you know, at the same time as people want to support their indie bookstore, they also want their book immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's like an expectation that has been set by major retailers like Amazon and Ingram. Like Ingram may be more for like small bookshops or whatever, where like, you know, sometimes a store will call me and I'll be like, I cannot ship two day to you without charging you $50 because yeah. that's what it costs, right? A big corporation can eat that cost, but I can't. Um, and a small bookshop would not be able to eat the cost of two-day shipping, right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of this like weird impasse where like at the same time as people want to support us, they don't realize that like, you know, because we're not a big corporation, like we can't meet those standards. And expecting us to meet those standards is actually like A, really expensive, B, mm-hmm. environmentally unhealthy, and C, yeah. actually hurting the whole industry. Um, and so it's kind of something as simple as that, where I'm kind of like, if people understood that media mail took a week and they felt okay with that, that would actually make a gigantic difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, the thing about Ingram f- Fulfillment is that like, you know, I saw, I, I, I've been like, you know, I think people know like pretty critical of bookshops, Ingram Fulfillment or Ingram Fulfillment in general. But like, I also understand that like that's the thing a lot a lot of the times when we a thing we say at SPD is like you know book selling is a business Mm -hmm. and it's an element of our business that we have to be profitable right like bookstores Mm -hmm. are profitable like we need to make sure that we get enough income to offset the the losses that we have Um, and um, sometimes Ingram is the only solution and I think that that's my thing. It's not, I don't have a problem with people who are buying from Ingram, being fulfilled by Ingram, whatever. I just wish that Ingram weren't the 
only option, the only foreseeable option for people. But in a lot of ways it is because it's the most cost-effective option, it's the fastest option, and that's what comes with like being having a monopoly on the market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to compete with that. Um, and I just wish that there were more options that people were more amenable to that were that were sustainable also for small businesses. But that's like one of those things where I'm like, we got to overhaul the whole system. And that's like not <laughs> a helpful thing to do. Yeah. Um, but I think that a first step is people knowing about it. And a second step is divesting from Amazon. Like people should just do that. Definitely. That's a Definitely. good first step for everybody that's very achievable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like this would be a good time to plug in that SBD is currently... How would you phrase it? Asking for support, yeah. donations? I mean, this is when I'm like kind of off the record, but like as, as someone who, who works for SPD, I think that I, I, you know, the support has been so incredible. Like, so basically SPD is asking for $100,000 to cover payroll and health insurance for all our employees in the interim while we wait for other loans to come in, um, mm-hmm. hopefully to come in. Um, and um, I think that I feel like, you know, kind of guilty about it because I also understand that everybody is really stretched thin right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the thing is that the, the thing is that like we don't really have any other options right now. It's kind of like to shut down um, or to keep going. We need this money um, because we're not going to ask people to, you know, take a giant pay cut or like lose their health insurance or anything like that. Um, And so it's been really encouraging to see a lot of people donate because they feel like SPD is like kind of crucial infrastructure for small presses and indie bookstores to be able to access literature that's not, you know, part of um, the big five or like, you know, um, part of mainstream literary culture. um, And they want to see that going. So if people feel like throwing us a couple bucks, you know, just so that we can t- can continue getting people small press literature, you know, it'd be really appreciated. Um, but also, it's totally okay if you can. There's a lot going on, <laughs> and a lot of other people to give money to. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll include the link in the bio for the podcast. Are you guys still being paid at Skylight? We are. Um, we okay. thankfully got the small business loan. Oh, um, that's great. Uh, yeah, Mary, our our manager was like on it and like applied for it and was one of the first people mm-hmm. to get it into the like paperwork system. That's awesome. Is everyone still working at SPD? So most of the front office staff are working remotely, but the thing that mm-hmm. I'm really stressed about right now, and that's the thing that if we had started talking about, I would have needed to be off the record about. A disclaimer, Trisha's views don't reflect the views of small press distribution. You know, in order to keep going, the warehouse workers still have to go in. And we Mm -hmm. have this system where there's only one person in each day, which is obviously really shitty. You know what I mean? That's so much labor. (laughs) Dude, like, we got an Amazon order in the other day, and it was maybe like 600 books. And the ship window was like, they were like, you got to get it out by the end of the day. Otherwise, we'll charge you for your lateness. Yeah. So then Amazon is applying their own standards to you. Yeah, and then like business, and then like charging us for it when we can't fulfill it, which is 
you know, like it's, it's fine if we have four people in the warehouse, which is what we do on a regular day, but to have one person in there be responsible for 600 books getting out is like pretty insane. So a, a lot of the, the kind of discussion at SPD has been like, how can we make this more sustainable for those dudes? Um, mm-hmm. And I say dudes mostly because they tend to be tall. Um, <laughs> I, I, like we kind of have this policy that every front office worker has to do some warehousing work just so you know what it feels yeah. like to do. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that has come to light is that if you are short, it's very difficult. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I feel very badly for them right now. And there's not, I don't feel like there's a good solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also understand that like lots of them are like, I don't want to lose this job. And that's not, that doesn't feel good to people in, in, you know, middle or upper management either, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because overall it seems like this division between being able to keep your job, but only if it's not manual labor, which is yeah. like, cause not, cause if you're doing manual labor, you can't work from home. Yeah. Um, and then there's the whole thing about how like it's technically not an inse- it's technically not an essential job. Yeah. Right? So like I think that there is people on staff who really feel like we should shut down. And I would mm-hmm. t- and I totally understand that. Um, but I think that you know it's kind of like being caught between a rock and a hard place. If we shut down, we definitely can't pay people. Yeah. Um, and if we but then we don't shut down, then you know this issue with the safety and labor of the warehousing employees is really compromised. So that's yeah, like a big I'm wondering, topic of discussion. Because bookstores aren't considered an essential business, but is distribution of books considered an essential business within it California? Is, in California, it's like, we like read the order very closely and it's dicey, but it is. It's because it's kind of like we're, we're a shipping company. So like oh, we we're allowed okay. to be open under the same clause that would allow something like a meat factory or like a meat distribution company to be open. But wow. no, I think that technically we're not an essential business. Yeah. Um, That's so, so interesting means- because you brought up the sausage comparison the other, like a few yeah. minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> And literally, it's comparable to, like, a meatpacking situation. I try to make that comparison because then, then people have less of, like, less of, a, less, less of the sense that, like, books are special, right? Like, yeah. When you think about the production being similar to, like, meat production, which it kind of is, yeah. um, that's, that's kind of, it's the same, right? Like, you know, you have, like, you know, small presses that are, like, niche artisan farmers or whatever and then you have the people mm-hmm. who, like have to do the work of packing and sending and that's us so um, that's so interesting because i've i feel like books are such a fetish object to begin yeah. with that the consumption yeah. of books is not necessarily in reading them but in buying them like obtaining them somehow um yeah. and also just that the margins are so thin like nobody can make any money. And mm. that is insane to me. Like like someone tweeted, I think Caroline Casey used to be at Coffee House tweeted this thing the other day that was like that was like people just take advantage of the fact that people in the book industry are bad at math. But it's true. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. Like the uh-huh. like we you know when we last year we did a big kind of financial audit and uncovered that we lo- we were losing about a dollar 
for every book that we sold to Amazon. Whoa. And like we sell like a thousand books to Amazon every week. Whoa. So like whatever, we're a nonprofit, we can make up that money. But yeah. that's that's not like if we weren't a nonprofit, if we like lost that status, that's not sustainable, you know? So like for if we're doing that, then like publishers, bookstores, like what are their margins? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. What the the last few days before we decided to close the bookstore were really intense because we basically like one of my coworkers was like, we're essentially Amazon workers now because all we're doing is fulfilling orders like shipments. Yeah. The way we, in which we were performing our labor had to be significantly restructured Yeah. so that all we did was just package the books, like get the books, like print the labels, ship them, like walk over to the post office, drop them off. And it's like, the customer service part of it where we were interacting with people diminished entirely. Um, I mean, it's also just like, there is books that have become, that have been like hand sold to success. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that, that's an element that's like, I think a really crucial part of the book industry. Like the, the part where like booksellers actually sell books of quality rather than just what comes in or like what, the algorithm produces that you enjoy or whatever right so like when that's taken out of it like it's it's kind of like a whole different business it becomes Um, so depersonalized yes but it's interesting because ingram i think just released uh book recommendation software my god that fucking bookfinity thing it's like you take a quiz and then they yeah you take a quiz yeah yeah I mean, when we talked about it in the office, everybody was just like, it's like, this is how you know Ingram is shitty. Like, they literally took Bookshop's model and decided to make their own version of it. Yeah. Um, and it has no soul and it won't work. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you well, again. Yeah, thanks so much. It was nice to talk to you. I hope we get to hang out someday. Yeah, definitely. Real time. I'd like that a lot. Um, I've been meaning to, this year I was, this year was the year I was like, I should get to LA more, um, but not now. Uh, this um, year was the year everyone was going to get their stuff together. I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's almost like, yeah. <laughs> giant, giant wrench in everybody's plans, but mm-hmm. um, we'll see what things are like on the flip side of this. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of exciting. People are thinking about alternatives a lot of collective organizing yeah um, that stuff is um yeah it's interesting or at least like that's the way it should be right like there's yeah. a lot of the big wrench in everybody's plans means that everybody has to look at the problem and i really mm-hmm. appreciate that so okay well i'll let okay. you be yeah i hope you have a good day and you i'll talk to you soon yeah bye, bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.